Imagine cities rolling out solutions to enhance culture, facilitate urban regeneration, promote public participation, and democratize public space. Diverse citizens helping to steer the human-friendly transformation of their towns, selectively using the most sustainable and sensible tech interventions to advance these goals. Welcome to Augmented Humanity. Our guests are modern explorers working at the intersection of technology and the humanities. They help us to understand ourselves and the worlds we create in this digital age. They are thinkers, creators, makers, and academics working in diverse fields like linguistics, technology, game and object design, and ethics. I'm your host, Craig Goldsmith. I'm your host, Ellen Dornan. On this program, we're joined by Daniel Latore, founder and director of The Wise City. Daniel is an advocate for digital placemaking with a focus on community engagement and for city leaders going beyond smart cities. Daniel, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us today. And I'm sure most of our listeners have heard uh, some buzz around smart cities, but can you sort of start us out by telling us what a wise city might look like? Thank you for uh, inviting me. That is a really good question. The way that I like to explain it is when we think about the word smart and the way smart is used in contemporary culture, it can mean all sorts of things. And it usually doesn't include ethics or responsibility or compassion or sustainability. Maybe a little bit now with green tech and the environmental movement. And there's certainly a lot of technologists that think technology can solve our climate crisis. But that to me is the same mistake as thinking that technology alone and engineers and engineering can solve our rapidly urbanizing planet. I'm curious about sort of how you unpacked what smartness may lack. If you're looking at maybe a gap in ethics and compassion and possibly sustainability, how do you build that in with a wise city model? Yeah, so here's another more concrete example. A wise city would center people and places and the values that the community has at the center of their governance and the decision-making and planning process. Whereas a smart city centers the material or the stuff, like how are we going to build a seawall to solve the flooding? Not how can we get to the root of the climate crisis, but how can we just basically have everyone have more water filters and expensive mitigations through technology schemes that, of course, are very profitable. But in many cases, it's like putting your head in the sand. You're not really getting to the origin or the source or the underlying dysfunction of our modern philosophies. What do you mean by dysfunction? What do you think is dysfunctional about how we're doing these things now? I love to actually use the frame of functional and dysfunctional as opposed to natural and unnatural. So this is a perfect example of the philosophical roots of our situation. For most of at least Western modern theory and philosophy, humans have been designated as outside of nature, that we are not an animal. We are not part of nature, and nature is what is outside of cities or things. We've sort of deified or reified, quote-unquote, nature, like undeveloped land, and then put everything else in this other category that assumes that we can completely control that. So there's this underlying assumption that nature and life is completely controllable. 
and we're also separate from it. And then if maybe we haven't done a good job of that and it's been very dysfunctional, it's because we don't have enough data. Our simulators aren't accurate enough. The algorithm is wrong. It's not the fact that we're approaching the whole problem from a position of math as opposed to a position of how does your heart feel? How does your body feel in these different spaces when you're being treated in a different way because of the different policies are in effect? And here's the irony. We have more data than ever, but we also are in a profound series of a number of crises and longstanding unresolved crises around the environment, around racism, around economic equality and democracy. And so why is it that we have all this focus on STEM, science, technology, engineering, and math, and we've got all this data and we've got more and more powerful computers, and yet it's almost like that's gotten worse. Because our focus is so, in my perspective, from a wisdom perspective, is our focus is entirely more and more caught up on the wrong things. It's just not black or white like that. Imagine if back in the day, people were coming from a more of a wisdom perspective and they saw the automobile for what it was, a super inefficient system compared to trains and trolleys and bicycles and something that wouldn't really scale. And they thought about the environmental and resource impacts and the secondary effects that lead to resource wars, part of which we're seeing right now as this is being recorded with the situation in Russia and Ukraine. And they would have said, hey, this is actually a bad technology. Let's pass. Let's actually limit this or constrain it and heavily regulate it for industrial uses, for like delivery in its appropriate place. And instead, let's invest in trolleys, mass transit and trains and bicycle infrastructure instead of destroying them all or stopping the funding of them. Imagine what the world would be like if there was enough wisdom in place at the beginning of this problem, because the automobile and the energy and resources that are part of that system are one of the largest dysfunctions the human species has ever made. Yeah, or even things like the idea that streets need to be three, four, or five lanes so that you can have multiple lanes of traffic plus parking on the side. I mean, it's like a whole other way of even physically structuring an urban or semi-urban environment. And it's kind of been getting worse now. You know, we were making headways, but as my former colleagues and friends who run the War on Cars podcast have been really good at pointing out is, you know, you have all these SUVs and pickup trucks now that are like militarized tanks. It's something to do, I think, with the crisis in white masculinity or whatever. It's like this <laughs> fear of like, oh my God, my privilege is being taken away. I don't know if there's been any studies on this, but I think it seems pretty clear what's driving all of that. One of the things that a lot of people around the world have been seeing over the last couple of decades, I guess, is just more surveillance and cameras and yeah. the city saying, well, this is going to keep us all safer and this is going to keep people from rolling through red lights and speeding down the roads and whatever. And when it happened here, it didn't feel like there was a choice point. There didn't feel like there was a point where we could say hey, I actually would rather not have surveillance in our city. We don't have those systems anymore, but it was post-facto. They spent a lot of money. They put them up. You're talking about in Albuquerque. In Albuquerque, yeah. Red light cameras. And it was a third party, private party that was processing the video and issuing tickets to people. And, you know, it was very hard to fight the tickets because it wasn't even the city. But that was, you know, a smart solution that turned out to be an unwise solution. Let's touch on that a bit here. 
So it's the same thing as like, let's just build seawalls to protect us from flooding. It's this technological solution that does have some merit. There is evidence that it does reduce speeding in school zones and places where there's increased need for more care and caution in the relationship between drivers and people who are not surrounded by two tons of metal. However, I want to connect this back to the sort of functional and dysfunctional frame. There is something that's functioning there that is useful, but there's also a lot of things that are dysfunctional. The privatization of governance is a major problem, and it often isn't ever put up to any sort of elected or representative choice. And so we have to talk about the politics. We can't talk just about technology and sociology. Current American dominant way of neoliberalism, which assumes that government is bad and private companies are good, is a very dysfunctional politics and logic. There's some merit to it in certain cases, in certain ratios but in other domains where there's a tremendous need for equity and fairness, accountability, being responsible for the impacts of that shouldn't be left to the whims of a private company that has no political and electoral and democratic oversight. I think it's almost the notion of what we would call the public good, where a transcendent entity such as a government can take on the notion of what is in the interest of the public good versus what is in the interest of profitability, efficiency, and all those kind of things that come out of the private corporate world. And I also want to clarify that I really think it's also more useful to talk about governance. One of my mantras is that all technology is political. All human creation, anything that we do is political because there's power dynamics involved. There's privileges, there's different ratios of power and privilege because we are all in a relative order. We are not all in the same position in the same boat. We're in very different boats. The red light cameras, you know, there was a big scandal in Chicago where the private company that was managing their red light cameras, there were mysterious spikes in ticketing that the private company said, oh, it was a glitch. Once the Chicago Tribune did investigative journalism, looked at the data, and basically was doing governance as a journalistic institution because there was no oversight within city government. So the journalists uncovered this algorithmic juking of the system because the private company was paid a percentage of each ticket. So the whole incentives, kind of like our healthcare system, is we're incentivizing sickness, we're incentivizing dysfunction. Is that solving safer cities? No, it's profiting off of the unsafe system of the design of the street. The wiser approach or a more functional approach is let's change the design of the streets. I was at the front row of the Google Smart City battle with the residents of Toronto in the Sidewalk Toronto Smart City Initiative that successfully resisted and was shut down. And I was even approached to work for Google's Sidewalk program. And the job description for one of their positions was basically written based on my actual career, which the writer of that job description told me. You know, So there was this really uncanny irony where Google was looking at my career and thinking of it as a model for urban digital smart city leadership. I explored that with them and I said, hey, if you don't listen to the citizens and it's not authentic, in this day and age, with the transparency of social media and the rapid organizing of social media, you can't pull a fast one through backroom deals. It's really hard to pull that off, and it's wrong, and it's just not authentic, and that's not good for business. Even just on a single bottom line orientation, 
Think about all the money, the lawyers and the talent and all of that money that was invested in that for what? To try to force some oligarch's vision of let's have our smart city, but let's do it right this time because we're smarter because we have more data because we have bigger computers. So again, it was that same logic of computation that was like, well, we just didn't get the algorithm right. Now we've got the smarter people and different people and we'll do it right because we're special because we have the special tech. Oh, the old tech was bad. So you know what would be better? Let's have new tech. And no one's questioning what Torontoans or Albuquerqueans, you know, need isn't more technology. What's our food system like? What's our climate mitigation system like? What's our equity in dealing with racial justice like? What are the real needs? Have we talked to them? Have we asked them? That's a much more functional conversation that leads to a wiser path. Part of the way that our current rhetoric about our political culture in the United States is, is that so many people don't realize that our cars, the manufacture of the cars, the gasoline that goes into the cars, the asphalt that people drive on, the bridges that they go across are all subsidized. And so because it's so useful and valued, it's been taken for granted. Some of what you're describing, to me anyway, sounds like a particularly American problem, which is that whole notion of rugged individualism versus societal good. And it's actually exported. The influence of America is actually spreading this dysfunction. I got to meet Bianca Wiley, who is one of the many leaders in the resistance to the Google Sidewalk Smart City Project in Toronto. She has only grown she came into this all kind of new to the whole urbanism and smart city debate, but as a democratic governance-minded person has learned really fast and is working now in an academic capacity and public policy capacity and writing on this whole question of where is the democratic choice? It's at procurement. Where's the governance for how procurement happens? And there's many voices in the United States as well who also pointed out that we need to talk about how procurement happens and that as a intervention point for increasing democratic oversight for more functional outcomes. Daniel, thank you so much for being with us today to talk about wise cities versus smart cities. Thank you. It's been fun. And for our listeners, if you would like more information about Daniel and his work, you can visit thewisecity.org, all one word. Augmented Humanity is a program of the New Mexico Humanities Council, produced in partnership with KUNM-FM. You can visit us online and find out more about our programs at nmhumanities.org. Our theme music comes courtesy James Whiten, and we've had production assistance from Tristan Klum.